0: Thank you for tuning in to Sales and Enablement, the podcast. This week, Shante Sheets joins Dan and Crystal on the pod. Shantae is the Senior Enterprise Sales Trainer at Salesloft, And in this episode, a few of the topics we discuss are the importance of discovering the sales cycle, balancing checking the boxes and being naturally curious in sales conversations, and the need for proactive seeking of feedback and taking control over one's career growth. Sit back and enjoy this episode, our 37. Hey everybody, this is Dan Reynolds, co-host of Sales and Enablement Podcast. This is episode number 37. I am the sales side of the duo. Crystal, what the heck are you doing here?
1: I ask myself this often, but I am the enablement side of this um, amazing duo, Dan and just so the audience knows, I did take a new role, so I am still doing enablement, one hundred percent. But I've also added some more sales stuff to my to my my belt. So I'm the enablement side, though the the much better side. And we've got um, an incredible guest with us today. So I will let her introduce herself.
2: Why, hello, everyone. I am the married between because I am both sales and enablement and thrilled to be here. My name is Shondi Sheets, and I am our enterprise sales trainer at Sales Law. I am thrilled to be here. I've been a seller my entire career. I was a debt collector for 10 years, then found my way into this crazy tech world where I have been an account executive, a sales enablement manager, and now a sales trainer. And I get to bring my coaching background, my sales background, and all of the things I love into my day to day. Awesome! I had no idea you were a debt collector. Great!
1: That's awesome. Holy cow! I can't imagine you, Sean, as a debt collector. But
2: just like sales, you're like, let's solve your finances, and let's not do a business case, but let's do a financial planning analysis. Let me partner with you. Come on the same side of the table and. Let's resolve that debt. Jump that credit score up and walk your way to financial freedom. (laughs) (laughs) I almost closed you. Let's go. (laughs) That's awesome.
1: I love it. I love it. So we're going to be talking about something that is pretty dear, I think, to all of us. And that is discovery conversations. Discovery conversations can go so many different directions. And I think every sales rep has their own way of conducting discovery. And a lot of organizations will even have things scripted out for for their sales teams. And you have some that love it, some that don't. So it can be quite controversial. Let's just open it up, Shante. Like, why is this important to you? And why are we talking about this?
2: I'll start by saying one of the things you said there's makes me cringe every time. Scripts. Ah, oh, where do they fit? Where do they not? Are they good? Or are they bad? Do they make us robots? Do they lose our critical sk- skills, abilities? So many things. Discovery is near and dear to my heart because it's the one thing you have to nail if you're in an active deal cycle. It helps you qualify in or qualify out much faster. And it really helps you show your person on the other side, your prospects, that you're the consultant, you're the subject matter expert, and you're really here to help them transform their business. And discovery is the critical piece of any sales cycle. But it doesn't stop. It's not one and done. It is the thread that is woven throughout the entirety of a customer life cycle.
1: A hundred percent. A hundred percent. What's going on out there right now? What trends are, are you seeing? Hearing around discovery and just that that specific stage in the sales cycle or that phase.
2: Yeah. So I can tell you what we're experiencing internally as well as everything I've heard from networking conversations. And I doubt this will come as a shock to either of you, but it's the same as what we've always heard in sales, except for the few years that we had that order taker stint and like all bets were off the table. You could do whatever you want and you could still close a deal. But like, we're not doing discovery. We're just not being active in discovery. We are word bombing ourselves, our products, our services. We're not listening to pain. We're not implicating it. We're not peeling back the layers of the onion. We're really just not partnering with our prospects to help them transform their businesses.
0: Crystal, you said it it was...
1: Crystal, what?
0: You said it was controversial. I don't think it's controversial. What I think is controversial is the fact that most reps in SaaS businesses don't know how to do discovery. And to Shante's point, it was an easy life for eight years, maybe. And now the reality is it's not an easy life. We don't know if it's ever going to be an easy life, but it's a great opportunity. If you are in sales to determine whether you're go- going to stay in sales, because to Shante's point, I think there are, there's definitely topic to talk about. For example, if you're looking at spin, how much should you know about the situation going into a discovery call? hmm should you spend time at all doing spin, the S and the P like what product you're selling a lot of company from what's been published publicly, not just on their website, but reports, interviews, blog, podcasts, how much time should you spend on it? That's to me where the controversy lies and it's tough. It's tough
1: I think point. that's, yeah that's what I was talking about is that every organization is going to do something differently and take spin for example organization a could have x amount requirement as far as research is concerned this company might have this and it's wait a second what's right what's the right way and is there a right way yeah yeah, definitely it's it's those little nuances in the, the existing methodologies that that are out there. Being that, Shantae, does self-help use a specific methodology as far as discovery is concerned? Or like what, what kinds of things are you doing there?
2: I will answer that question. But to marry what both of you just said, it's interesting because like companies can do whatever they want. But then to like both of your points, then you have the AE. And we all know, like I'm a seller. We're ADD, we're strong willed we're like stubborn. Then we go rogue and we like still do what we want. And then you have those people who like have only ever sold in that great climate of that eight year stint. And so they're like, they've never had to fight for a sale. They've never had to be a consultant. They're used to just being like, okay, and what else would you like? And what feature? Check. And here's your total. That's just not the world we're in anymore. We are not cashiers at Target. Okay. So to answer your question. We do. So I work with a number of reps. I coach one-on-one is one thing that I do. And then I'll talk about some other things. So with those reps, like I break it down to three pillars, be human, be prepared, and the bookends. Like those are the three things that matter most in discovery call. So being human, you need to stay true to who you are, be authentic, be yourself, But you need to lead with curiosity. You cannot, some of those scripts, like this is a personal preference. They just make us robotic. It stubs our curiosity because you already know where you're taking the conversation. You're not letting your curiosity drive and fuel that conversation. So just be you and be curious. And then be prepared yet present. Like that also is important. It's a balance, but both are necessary. And this goes to what we were just talking about, about like how much preparation, like you have to show up prepared. If you're jumping in a call, like I just listened to a call yesterday and somebody was like, oh, and where are you based? I'm like, that's like bare minimum research. Like you should know where they're based. You should know what their role is. Like that question too, what is your role? You should know going into calls. Like there is a minimum level of preparation that just shows you've done your job. You should know your prospect better than they know themselves, specifically how it's tied to your business and what you do. Um, And then the bookends, like you get one first impression and how you start and end the meeting matters so much. The other like personal preference, like the weather conversation, like there are so many other rapport building questions that you can talk about. Then like, how's the weather? So being strategic, right, having a strong point of view going into a conversation, anchoring on a valid business impact driving question to then spark you into your discovery call. And then at the end, obviously, also, you need to set an upfront contract. And then the end of the call, right, recap. If I'm hearing you correctly, Mr. Customer, it sounds like A, B, and C are really some challenges you're facing right now. Is there anything I'm missing or anything you'd add? Okay, great. And if we were to prioritize those, what's number one right now? Top of mind for you. Okay, amazing. Now I'd love to transition and talk to you about how at SalesLoft we can solve those challenges and why we're a partner of choice for you. We shouldn't have mentioned us anywhere else in the conversation until that moment at the end, the last five to 10 minutes where we pivot and now position our next steps and why they should continue talking to us. Yeah, I love
1: that. I absolutely love that. Buyer enablement is something that I am a very strong supporter of, I think, enablement in general. And I'm starting with enablement because obviously that's the side that that I'm from. But enablement in general is way too product enablement. It is product enablement. So it's no wonder that these AEs and, and sales teams are just literally vomiting the product. That's all they're being fed by enablement. And so when you don't have a combination of buyer and product enablement, that's exactly what your outcome is going to be, is that they're going to be so focused on the product. And I'll tell you, as as someone who does evaluate tech tools and evaluating tech tools, even in previous roles, I can see that a mile away, like when they are not interested in me as a human being. They're not, they haven't done their preparation. They don't even know what, they don't know what I do. But I'm not saying you have to be an expert on it, but do some research. And I'm very open with my presence on social media. So there's a lot of, I'm giving you a lot of content to dig through here, Cal. And I, I can see that a mile away. And then when they shift the focus from my needs to their product, it becomes You don't even know what I want. You don't even know what I'm really looking for. I have all of these thoughts going on here about what I'm going to choose and why I'm going to choose it. I'm a savvy buyer. And to your point, AEs are not in a position, a majority are not in a position to truly have a great conversation with a savvy buyer. So yeah, everything you said, spot on. What say you down? You look like,
0: I think that the, uh, there's two things that I think of. And the first thing that I think of from a, an AE's perspective is it's obvious that the last eight, to 10 years were easy, but I'll tell you what wasn't easy. One-on-ones with your manager and doing deal pipeline reviews. Like those were and are the worst half an hour of the week. And I think about my experience during those years and I think about how much better they, the whole experience would have been if every meeting started with, let's go through your deals and explain to me the solution, the problem, the implication of the need payoff. Because without those, there is no deal in your pipe. It's not a deal. It's not an opportunity. It's not an opportunity. It doesn't matter how it came in, inbound, outbound, demo requests, without knowing and what, without knowing that basic information, there's nothing to talk about. It's not an opportunity. And it's crazy, by the way, that I got away with it. But it's also part of the reason that I hated those sessions is because We lost our way. Maybe we didn't even have our, maybe, and I'm, I've worked at early stage startups. So it's all, there's challenges there regardless, but that's the basics of any opportunity, and I think as the market is maturing now, it's becoming more obvious. But the question is, how do you marry that process with the modern buyer? Are the how? and I think sales lock is a great example. When you speak with somebody, how far are they on their buying journey? And how does that change the qualification process? Shante.
2: I actually am really curious, Dan, before I answer that, has have your calls, have you seen a shift in how your meetings are from manager to reps in today? Have those shifted back to that formula of what was missing in that eight to 10 year stint?
0: Yeah, of course. I'm like, first of all, I'm selling, it's a different, it's a different product that I'm selling now from transactional to enterprise. And that's probably got something to do with it, but it's, it's also the necessity. If you didn't have to do it and you still took the money, then you take the money, you find it. And it will, by the way, it wasn't wrong. We took the money. I we found ways to get to the end fast, and it Mm -hmm. worked, and it was repeatable. But those days are over, for now. So it's like back to fundamentals, right? Mm -hmm. But it also fundamentals is what is selling as opposed to order taking. But again, it's like the way that the market shifted, where everybody knows what sales law is about. Everybody knows. How saleslop started, everybody knows how saleslop is moving to AI. Like when you speak to a if you are interested in the product, it changes the dynamic of the conversation. It makes it more interesting. And maybe spin something like the basic of spin. Is the S and the P how important is it at this point? There's the beta by bat also.
2: Yeah. Thanks. This is not my show, but thanks for letting me ask you a question. (laughs) So now back to your question that you asked me. So we are a MedPick shop here at Sales Loft. And so we which obviously is just a qualification framework. And then we also have a sales off solutions, which is our methodology. I actually just a few weeks ago, recreated our sales process. So we have our sales process married with the buyer journey. Obviously, we all know the Gartner study of we get 17% of our buyers time to your point, like we are working with much more mature, sophisticated buyers. They have resources at their fingertips. Hell, they can go ask ChatGPT what they should move forward with help me evaluate these tools, give me a guide, a roadmap, right? Like we have so much resource at our disposal. So with marrying the buyer and the seller's journey, we put in what are the steps we're thinking about from a sales perspective? What is our buyer thinking about? And what's the exit criteria for each of us, because they're very different. But from a med pick perspective, at a bare minimum, you're not leaving discovery without your metrics, without pain being implicated and without a champion. Obviously, there's so much more encompassed in that. But we're talking bare bones. You have to have those things in order to progress your deal. I love that. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Exactly.
0: Otherwise, it's not a deal.
1: Is that, so you guys do MedPic, is that the your preferred sort of qualification framework? I've heard from a lot of enablers that they always have questions about how do I launch MedPic? Where do I start? So I'm sure you can speak to that a little bit if that's your favorite framework to use.
2: I've used them all. They all have like similarities. I will honestly tell you, I'm not married to one or the other. I do really love MedPic, though. I obviously also mentioned I'm tied to the enterprise segment. And Dan, just like all of us, enterprise selling, you, you have to have all of the components of the true MedPic, not just Medic, but the more robust version that Andy rolled out. So when we implemented Sales Loft, we did partner with Andy White and we did his live trainings. And then we rolled it out. So we married it to our sales process, made mapped exit criteria to it so that it all matched it. We obviously use SalesLoft at SalesLoft, love our tool. And we also married our fields. So there's a MedPick score that equates to every stage of the deal cycle. And you have to have a minimum MedPick score that is allowed for you to at that stage and you there's gates in place so if you don't have that met then your manager has to go in and validate and add their discretion as to why you're advancing it past that stage without meeting the minimum threshold to ensure that again we're qualifying in or out the right opportunities we want to make sure that our partners are going to be successful with us and likewise yeah
0: and what are some of the challenges that you're facing from the reps what are you hearing in the field when it comes to your med pick process
2: oh so many things implicating pain in a 30-minute call in a 30-minute disco call right and like having an opportunity to go really deep and just staying structured they are forgetting some of those best practices so the gentle reminders of let's listen to this five minutes of this intro on this call what are the things we're missing and how could we have tightened it but the pain implication i would say is the Biggest thing and ensuring we're talking to the right person at the right time. And we're digging and digging until we have pain that really is implicated. And it isn't that surface level pain because as all of us know, not only has the buying changed, but the decision makers have changed. And we have 10, 15, 20 decision maker committees. And if we are not anchored on pain that's implicated that those people care about and are a top initiative for ELT, you're not progressing your deal anywhere. You don't have a deal, like you said, Dan.
0: Yeah. And I don't, the thing that I find that I found interesting in my journey is that and and I, I've taken the Medpick course as well with Andy. It doesn't all happen in one call, right? And I, I find that we have a scenario at second nature where we have a AI product that nobody's seen before. We're not replacing an existing product. Nobody's heard of us before. So when we do get on the first call, where do we find the balance between a discovery and just flat out, like, this is what we do, because if, if, if there's no interest in this, there's no point in me asking you, but having, asking you discovery questions. It's been hard to find that balance. But what I think I've discovered is is that I also ate attention, interest, desire, and action. And from our, from my perspective, it's like, we need your attention. I need to know there's desire. If we don't get through everything in a 30 minute call, let's just put it, let's just say it it as it is, right? Is there enough interest for us to continue this conversation? Because there's a lot more that I need to uncover. There's a lot more that that you need to discover. And for sure, this deal is not ending with me and you on the phone, right? Yeah, the modern sales journey is is challenging, and it doesn't get done in a thirty minute call. That's for sure.
2: Yeah, and I think the at bats we've gotten so many less. So, what I think. The result of the behaviors we're seeing is directly tied to what we're facing. You have less at-bats. You're getting told no more often. And so when you are in front of somebody, we're almost like desperately pigeonhole question asking because we know what we want them to say. So we're going to ask the question to guide them down the hole versus asking them true questions. And to your point, you're in that education, awareness, like teaching people what you are, what you do, what you solve for. And how do you marry coming in with a strong point of view of here's your business pain and challenges? Here's how I think we can help. Is that something you're looking to solve based on what I've done research? Looks is top of mind, but curious, is it? And how top of mind is it?
0: And it's like for me, it's always it's fun. It's fun to set up a next call with the purpose, mm-hmm. right? It's like you're starting a relationship, but it might end after the second call, but that's okay. The point is just to get keep it going. it's almost like, like having the perspective is almost like when you work at a start early stage startup. And by the way, I'm sure this was true with sales loft. What did sales loft start as? Was it always like a cadence tool? I'm sure there was the first iteration, but it was something else. And then after conversations with prospects and clients, things change as you mature. And I think Especially in enterprise selling, you have to have that attitude going in. Say, even if the person I'm speaking to says they're the champion, they're not, they're probably not the champion. Too accessible to get a champion on the floor. It's not the way it is, but that's okay. Let's have the call. Let's see where it goes. But we're also under the pressures of the numbers. So how do you? I'll put it this way. How do you take the edge off the sellers? Knowing that yes, they need to follow med pick, go through all these criteria, ask the difficult questions, to ask, be nice and smile and create relationships, <laughs> but at the same time, make it conversational. How do you work with reps with that, Shante? This is one of
2: my favorite things to do. And also, obviously, I'm a sales trainer, not a sales manager, so I get called a therapist very often. I'm like a cheerleader. I do a lot of co- I do a lot of pre-call prep and a lot of debriefs after. To, okay, let's hype you up and let's calm you down. Let's like emotionally ground. So I will also just throw that up there. But I love um, it. Crystal knows I'm also a life and leadership coach, Dan. so that comes into play every day at work. Repeat your question. Actually, now I lost it. Sorry, I was going down a rabbit hole in my brain. I
0: I was just wondering how you work with your sellers, like to find a balance between having to check the boxes, Mm. and also being naturally curious and and conversational, and understand the pressures that we're under to sell. Like, how do you put those? How do you balance those together?
2: Okay, thank you. So my favorite way to do this is with call reviews. And I will give you three different rep examples because obviously it's something you have to marry to the person on the other side and who you're directly working with. And I am such an advocate of listening to calls live with reps that they have done. And we do this for a number of reasons. One rep that I have that I'm working with, they're more of the they're more of like a mirror crystal. Sorry, because I'm going to throw us in this bucket together. We like to, if you will, we might see what you're saying. We might not. We might be over here while you're over there. And so with that rep, we listen to the call live together. I always will pause it and ask, what are you hearing? And what was your response? How did you actually respond now that you're hearing it as a third party? And with this particular rep, They'll give their feedback, I'll interject some of my feedback, and then I have to have them recap it via email and what they're going to do as an output because they just are not like on the journey. I have another rep who we probably want we shouldn't have favorites, but one of my favorite reps, who's like, so growth mindset, takes feedback, implements it, and is immediately like transformational in the next call. And that rep, which just question asking, So how can we change the way you're asking questions to be more buyer-focused? Your question asking is still amazing, but how do we flip it to where you're really on their journey, not our own? And that is very tactical stuff with that. And then I have another one who is only sold in this environment, and we do need to get back and teach how to actually sell. And so it's back to the basics. We break calls apart in two minute increments and we watch the progression of and are we on the right track? Where did we start? And is the next two minutes getting us to where we're trying to go as your outcome you were desiring? And for whatever reason, the live call listening sitting with reps versus me just doing call reviews, putting in comments into conversational intelligence, them being able to look at it when you do it with them live. They just something snaps. They just see it in a different light and you force them. To not only listen to their own call, but listen to it while you watch them listen to it. And it really forces them to think about it in a different way, which obviously is not a scalable approach, but it's effective. (laughs) How
1: are sales leaders helping you drag this? What are they doing? Are they doing something similar? Are they those sales leaders who still think that deal reviews are one-on-one sessions? And tell me, how are they helping you drag this?
2: Yeah. So the reps that I work directly with, I have super supportive managers. And so one of them, we recently came to us and the rep was like, I have had four deals in a row that go from discovery to demo. And then they all ghost me. And I was like, that's really interesting. Let's take an unbiased approach and I will have your manager listen to one and I will listen to one and then we'll debrief and come together with a formula and plan for you on how to success. So that was like one example. I also run weekly call reviews in the enablement team, and it's a formula that I've equipped all managers with. So there is an expectation of like how many calls BDRs tag you in, how many your AE tags you in, and how many the manager listens to per week with grow guides by situation. So if we're in the discovery stage, here's a grow guide manager to get your rep to thinking and how they can evolve their conversations, so on and so forth throughout the deal cycle.
1: Awesome! I love that. I love that you have supportive managers. That's that makes all the difference, right? When you have those supportive sales leaders who are on the same page that you are, and you can work together with them to really drive that performance of the team. So love that. We are discovered. We've got your perspective, Shanti. I was going to say something else, but it would have sounded really weird. And I think this has been, I, I love hearing your perspective because some of the things that you are doing, I think a lot of enablers are not. Uh, and whether it's not having the right support to implement it, not having just a general know-how, I think with so many brand new enablers coming into the space, this is gonna be super helpful, I think for them. but I, And I also think for sales reps, who are listening to this, who might need some of that support, but they just don't know how to go about it and, and get it. But yeah, Dan, did you have anything else for Shante?
0: I think we're in, we're entering into an interesting phase of sales and enablement. And I think we've talked about the sales, what's happening on the sales side of things, at least in SaaS, like we're ignoring the rest of the world, but <laughs> it's nice to be in the bubble but i think we're int- we're entering into an interesting phase because fast sellers clearly need help on the other hand the enablement function is undergoing a slaughter from organizations and like those two paths are like they sh- it, it's something off and i think i don't know how it's going to resolve itself and it's probably a topic for another episode but i don't know do you feel that as well i can't oh, cool. help but feel it and see it
2: oh yeah crystal we've talked about this we know many people impacted on the enablement front by this couldn't agree more with what you're feeling dan it's happening out there a lot. And it's,
1: and it blows my, it, it really blows my mind how everything that you just said, Shante, how a sales leader, a CRO, and even CEOs, how they cannot see the value in what you just talked about. And well, and it's not even that, right? Seeing the value, but how they can honestly not still see enablement as something that is impacting revenue. How can you not see that? I don't understand. And maybe it's enablement's fault. Maybe we're just not. Yeah, but
0: that, but, but I, job, the job title CRO didn't even exist before this last, a good, the good times, right? Everything's just in such a state of flux at the moment. So again, I'm sure maybe we'll have you back on another episode to discuss this bigger topic. But I think it's definitely whoever's listening to this. Surely you have an opinion and hope and I'm sure you're feeling it as well because everything's changing. But from the seller's perspective, back to the basics, only good things can happen if you survive the, the fast war.
2: And one last note for all of the sellers, you're the only one in control of your future, your destiny and your career. And if your manager or someone isn't listening and reviewing your calls, raise your hand and ask for that. You're the only one that can proactively seek the feedback that you desire. And managers are swamped just like you. They are inundated. They are overwhelmed. They are feeling all of the things you are 10x. Ask them proactively be in charge of your career and your growth. Last plug. Sorry, Dan, I'm done.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm and done I'm
2: also.
0: <laughs> You've done, Crystal?
1: Yes, I am done. Cause if I keep talking, we're just going to, we're going to go. So great! I am done. This was awesome, Shante. Thank you so much for joining us. And yeah, Dan, close us out, man. Close us out. Yeah,
0: we're right. You basically just close us. But if you've made us made it this far, thank you for coming to the end of the full episode number thirty seven, Shante. You're a, you've been a star. We look forward to speaking with you again. And to our listeners and viewers, we will see you next week.
2: Thank you, guys. Bye.